You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a community of people seeking to live our lives in the orienting center of God's love in the midst of our post-Christian world, learning to lead like Jesus, live on mission, and make disciples. In nature, gravity is the phenomenon that brings stuff together, objects as small as atoms and quarks, and as large as stars and galaxies. We believe the gravity of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. The Gravity Leadership Podcast is curated conversations on what it looks like to practically orient our lives and our leadership in the love of Christ, the gravity that holds everything together. All right. Hey, friends. Uh, Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. I'm Ben Sternke. I'm one of your hosts. I'm one of the co-founders of Gravity (laughs) Leadership. (laughs) And uh, that uh, sigh you just heard is... (laughs) Is a very tired, apparently, or yeah, or no, just I'm t- exhausted. You're just exhausted every time. Uh, no, oh, so Matt's microphones. Super, uh, I have to record oh. another podcast. Ben well, Sternke's here. I gotta put some pants uh, on and get out of bed. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that is Matt Tebby. Also, yeah, sorry, uh, your, sorry, your host for today. I um, I was up. I've been up since two thirty this morning. Yes. Yeah. I I went to bed. Nice. Why? Nice Why'd normal you do that? adult time. Yeah. Um, uh, um, and then I woke up at two thirty. Toss and turn until four. Yeah, and then That's just got crazy, out of, and just got out of bed. Ugh. So, I actually had a lunch with a parishioner. That's what Anglicans call congregants. <laughs> I had lunch with a parishioner planned today, yeah. and, I, and I canceled it. Yeah. I just was honest with her. I said I was. I've been up since two thirty. That's hard, and I need to probably. I probably need to work in a nap at some point today, just yeah. to function. Yeah, I have to get up at four a.m. tomorrow because I'm uh, going to Yosemite. Yosemite. Maybe that was it. Maybe I was like thinking, of, thinking do I have about, everything packed? Am oh, I, yeah, am I, I'm old and out of shape. What, am I going to be stranded on a mountain somewhere? <laughs> right, right. Am I just going <laughs> to go on without me? Call a helicopter. The cougars and the yeah. eagles will get me. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. So you're going to, uh, that, that happens to me, by the way. Like the night before a big trip, it's really hard for me to sleep. 
because yeah. I I'm anxious. <laughs> there it is, another one. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, we're not making uh, you listeners yawn too much. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, night before a big trip. So, uh, wh- why are you going to Yosemite? Uh, because I'm a suburban softy, and I want to get in touch with my natural, like, wilderness soul. Mm. Me and uh, wait, that's not right. Uh, three of my friends and I mm-hmm. are going to uh, back. We're just going backpacking. In the, just backpacking in, in, in Yosemite. northern Yosemite. Very good. And the uh, we'll be between six and twelve thousand feet. Very fun. Five nights. Ni- Five nights? Yeah, five nights. Mm-hmm. One of the days is like um, probably a low of 21, mm. high of like 48, Ooh. and a wintry mix oh, gosh. with high winds. Oh, wow. <laughs> I think it's the day where at like 12,000 feet. Oh, it's my gonna gosh. Be, wow. It's going to be like just bear down. And probably it'll be like 90 degrees here, yep. uh, which is September got hot in Indianapolis yeah, here. So. it's brutal. Yeah, it's gotten crazy. Um, anyway, it'll be right. fun. It'll be a lot of fun. 50 miles. 50 miles in six, five and a half days. Very good. So by the time uh, listeners uh, hear this, you'll be, you'll be in Yosemite. Yeah. Yeah. Pray for me. Pray, pray for Matt. <laughs> pray, for he come, pray for the fact maybe you can come back and not have too many injuries and that kind of thing. I did this two years ago, though, just speaking of sleep. <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, we would hike nine to 11 miles a day. Yeah. And then we'd go to bed like it's sundown. Right. Which is what... Because there's nothing to do which after is what it gets dark, right? humans used right, to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, sun's down, I guess. Nothing to do there's now. No, no binge-watching two broke girls on Netflix <laughs> right. out in the wilderness. And uh, uh-huh. I slept a good nine and a half to 11 hours every night. Really? Yeah. Wow. I remember doing that. I, I took a canoe trip with my dad and my little brother when I was like 14 or 15 years old to the Boundary Waters oh, yeah. in Minnesota. They've got all these lakes, interconnected lakes, and we and we just canoed for a week, and then we turned around because our trip was two weeks. <laughs> we were like, "Well, we better get back," and we canoed back for a week. So it was like a two week trip. Did you and, see anybody else? Uh, we, occasionally, but almost never did you see anybody else. Uh, okay. And it's super, it's unbelievably quiet because they don't allow motors past a certain point. Right. So there's no motors of any kind. Did you hear loons? Waters. Yeah, I heard loons all over the place. Loons um, are the, my favorite bird to listen to. Yeah, they're really the, the mournful call. call. It is a mournful. Maybe that's what it is. It speaks to my <laughs> melancholic soul. Yeah, yeah you're like <laughs> I understand you, sad Ooh. bird. I love you, sad bird. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but uh, that was also my experience. My experience with sleep was yes, very easy to sleep uh, for plenty of time. And then uh, my experience with eating was interesting as well. That we were working so hard that like all this food that I thought was gross as a fourteen year old right. normally was delicious. Right. I was like fish every night. I love fish. <laughs> I didn't like fish, but I was like I was just so hungry, like yeah. really actually hungry because we'd been you know rowing all all day. Well, anyway, man, I hope you have fun. Thanks. Uh, I'll miss you. It's going to be. This is one of the ways I refresh physical activity and getting away from <laughs> getting mm. away from people. <laughs> <laughs> Go hang out with the loons. No, it's just getting you know getting out in nature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. God's sanctuary. Very good. Well, friends, uh, just a couple blurbs uh, to let you know about before we get to Casey Tigret, uh, which is a, a fantastic interview. I think you're going to love Casey, uh, just his thoughtfulness that he brings to issues of spiritual formation, uh, memory, and curiosity. Uh, but of course, we are um, still continuing to cultivate our membership community on Patreon. 
Uh, if you're interested in being part of that, you can go to patreon.com slash gravity leadership. Uh, there's a few different tiers there. And people are continuing to join it. Um, one of the things I'm particularly excited about, I think we've mentioned this before, is the Practitioner Podcast. Uh, we just recorded this week. Was it yesterday? No, it was no. a couple days ago. We, we, we just should. recorded... Go ahead. What did we record? We recorded two new episodes that I'm really excited oh, yeah. uh, for our for our practitioner. If you sign up at the practitioner or the partner level tier on Patreon, you get access to the practitioner podcast. And um, one is a beautiful story of reconciliation. Two friends that uh, were you know moved to a city to plant a church together, and they uh, they they had a falling out, uh, and then it had a beautiful reconciliation. It's like the gospel in story form. Yeah. It's just a great... Uh, I can't wait to release that one. Yeah, sometime we should re- like release one of our Patreon podcasts. We'll prob- yeah, we'll like, probably do that. Like, sure. you know, for the... Just to give you guys a... A, a taste. taste. Yeah, yeah, a little taste. A little taste. And we also interviewed a, a woman just about her uh, experience in uh, leadership and in ministry, uh, ups and downs. Um, <laughs> quite a few downs uh, in her experience. Yes. Um, and so we're really grateful for her. So anyway, uh, check that out. Um, again, you get access to the Practitioner Podcast if you sign up at the Practitioner or Partner tiers on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Gravity Leadership. And uh, just wanted to shout out to new patrons since we last recorded. Uh, we've got Robert Lackey. Thank you for your support. Michelle Harris. Andrew Overby. Mike and Christy Traben. Claire Patterson, Michael Gallopo, and Jacqueline Housel, uh, who just, uh, as we're recording this, uh, just today. Uh, pledged today. Thank you, about thank a, you. About an hour ago. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, guys, your partnership means a lot to us. Um, we really couldn't uh, do what we do uh, without uh, you guys on board. So thanks for being part of that community. Um, I think that's probably all we need to blurb. That's it. We got, we got two new spots. We got two more spots. I'll, I'll just do one more now that I think about it. <laughs> two more spots in two new Gravity Leadership cohorts that are starting, as you're listening to this, they're going to be starting the following week. So if you've been thinking about Gravity Leadership Academy, we'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, now would be a great time to jump in. We've only got two spots left in two new cohorts that are starting uh, next week. Did you ever notice the word blurb? Sounds kind of like how people feel about blurbs. Blurb. Blurb. Here's a blurb. I kind of like using it, though, uh, almost as a... Well, there's a podcast that I listen to where they, they, they explicitly talk talk about them as blurbs. I um, mean, it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek, where it's like, well, you know, we got to talk about this stuff. And so, let's just call it what it is. It's a blurb. Here you go. <laughs> Some information you might need to know. Well... We did a blurb. It. All right, guys. You, so <laughs> you've been blurbed. You've been blurbed, and uh, I hope you really enjoy this interview with Casey Tigret. Let's roll. Listen up. This is the dog days of summer when we're recording this. <laughs> yep. Not only, the heat finally broke. The heat broke. My kids are uh, bored out of their minds slash mm. scared to death to go back to school. Mm-hmm. And we actually got a dog. Yeah. In the dog days. Yeah. So you, it, you really did. Yeah. But there's some sort of there's some sort of irony here. I mm-hmm. like the dog days of summer are enjoyable for me until we got a dog and now I can't do what I want anymore. Mm. And so that creates the dog days are literal yeah. and metaphorical dog days. Yeah. To use uh, the language uh, of our training, you're having a you're having a kairos about this dog. Is that what we call it? That's what we call it. All right, it. then I'm having a Kairos. Yep. 
Yeah. Uh, yes. So we're here uh, today with our uh, new friend, Casey Tigret. Did I pronounce that right, Casey? Yeah. We sh- maybe should have cleared that up before we started no, recording it's always the podcast. Great to, it's always but, great yeah. to pr- mispronounce your friends' names. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to so. tell you, man, it, just, it, it depends on who you ask. So uh-huh. some people it's Tigret, some people it's Tigret. As long as, as, tigret, long as it's somewhere tigret. in that ballpark, man, I'm You cool. don't mind. Okay. All right. Not at all. Well, very good. Uh, Casey, it's nice to have you uh, with us on the podcast today. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit for our listeners? Um, what, uh, where, where are you at? Uh, what do you get up to? Um, and then uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, a couple of the books that you've read. About why you're here. About why you're here. Why yes. we summoned but, you today. But, <laughs> uh, you're probably wondering why you're here today. <laughs> yes. Right. So anyway, uh, yeah, just give, give a little intro uh, for our listeners. Yeah. So I live in the south suburbs of Chicago and have lived here for almost 10 years. And I serve at a church, Parkview Christian Church, as uh, my title is Theologian in Residence. And Ooh, so that's, yeah. That's fun. It's sort of like the Jedi title. Yeah, of it is. It is. World, I guess. Like, Ooh, wow. Uh, yeah. I'm just a content person. Like I, I help mm. us talk about things. So, so that's my job on a, a kind of a day to day thing. Other than uh, spending some time writing books and speaking, I also do spiritual direction. Hmm. And uh, I've been a pastor in different ways for the last twenty some years, about twenty three years. Okay. Uh, so, so I've been in all kinds of different places, from rural churches to suburban churches. To uh, I've taught a little bit in Christian colleges and universities. So I'm that guy who's sort of like stamped the passport with all sorts of different places, and hmm. uh, I like that. That's I'm not. I was never going to be that person. Just hang out in one place. Yeah. I know there's probably something wrong with that, but to hang out in one place for yeah. thirty years. But you know. No. Well, I, I don't know that there's anything wrong with it. I also think it's uh, part of just, you know, moderate. It, it's remarkable nowadays you hear about somebody who actually has the same job and lived in the same place for 30 years. Like it just our, our means culture's I a have, lot more transient. So It just means I have to read Eugene Peterson a little less because I feel like he's talking to me. He's right, judged, right. He's, he's, judging he's, you. he's Yeah, he's from the grave. <laughs> Dude, yeah. we're, we're letting down. The witness of Eugene Peterson stands against but, you. Yeah, we're, our whole culture is letting Eugene Peterson down at this point. So Stop we're moving. S- we're Stay sorry, Eugene. Are. We're sorry. Uh, Don't read Eugene Peterson and Wendell Berry together because you'll no, just. No, you'll move to a farm. You Which know, would be okay. I'm yeah, okay with that. Part. Yeah. Well, I've, I've, uh, there's a documentary out that I've wanted to see. I think it's called Big Little Farm or something like that. And it's about a couple who they like, they move to a farm and they try to get it working. And apparently, like, farming is really, really, really hard work. <laughs> and it's hard to make it actually work. Yeah. Uh, so, anyway, I think you can read. I, I know for me, like, I can read Wendell Berry and I can think, ooh, what an idyllic life. Uh, but it's it's a lot of you know chasing pigs around and killing animals to eat them. Yeah, it's a lot of that kind of he thing. He comes so. by those wrinkles, honestly. Man. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. yeah Although well, he was uh, anyway tobacco farmer, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, well, uh, not speaking of Wendell Berry. Yeah. Or Casey, Eugene Peterson. Or you, Casey, you um, in your in your uh, gypsy like pastoring and uh, Christian leadership, you have developed some convictions that you've translated into some written works. Uh, yeah. your, your first book uh, was a book about uh, called Becoming Curious, A Spiritual Practice of Asking Questions. And the second book uh, is, as I recall, which is a book on discovering the place of memories in our spiritual life. And we wanted to have you on because I think as 
as we've developed, you know, we, we're just we're just meeting you uh, through your writings and, and here today as we chat. But um, as we've developed our le- our training and discipleship and formation elements at Gravity Leadership, I would say that learning to ask questions and dealing taking our memories seriously as a meeting place with God mm-hmm. uh, are two of the major components that we didn't inherit from our spiritual theological tradition that we've had to develop. And so just the fact that you've written about them and they're core and central to who we are and what we do, uh, we were like, hey, we should, we should talk to this guy. Mm-hmm. So tell me, uh, tell me, uh, I'm curious, I'm actually becoming curious <laughs> as we're talking, uh, why did this, wh- how did these, did there. how did, let's just take the, let's take the asking questions. How did that become important for you? When did you realize that this was a necessary part of a faithful uh, spirituality in Jesus? It's interesting. It started for me, at least I think it's interesting. We'll find out if anybody else does. Uh, <laughs> it started for me really with the the process of writing. Uh, mm-hmm. I had been working on a few different things and and started writing on this idea of, of questions. And especially because you see so many questions in the Gospels. And Jesus asks or answers over 137 questions or so in the Gospels. And they're always in places where the like Western Enlightenment rationalists among us would be like, Jesus, just give us three points. And instead he yeah. goes, so uh, what do you think? And yeah. he just sort of stokes <laughs> that fire. Yeah. And so as I started to have conversations with people in spiritual direction, what I noticed was a really well-placed question had this gravity hmm. in it. It engaged people in a level that just direct statements didn't. Hmm. And so I really switched a lot of my pastoral work and thinking away from, well, here's what you should do to, so tell me about this. What is, what's, what was going on there? Hmm. And allowing people the space to really, and I think that's what Jesus was doing. I think Jesus was taking advantage of the fact that once you dive into like the human development side of questions, curiosity is actually something we're born with. Hmm. And it's how we, it's how we discover the world. It's how we figure out where it is that we live. And so children ask between 300 and 400 questions a day up to the age of five. Uh, my son is still asking them at 10, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You've got an overachiever on your hands he's, there, man. He's awesome. a question asker. <laughs> <laughs> but they do that because they're now in this situation that they have no categories for. And yeah. I started thinking about that whole idea of unless you become like a child, you never enter the kingdom of heaven. Hmm. And and Jesus is actually saying, you're about to step into something you have no idea what's going on. So ask the questions. Just like you would as a child entering into this new world, when you step into this new way of being in the kingdom of God, begin to ask those questions because they're important. And instead of saying, you know, questions waste of time, or you should just find something to believe in and stick with it. Jesus seems to be saying the opposite. So how can you believe? How can you live? How can you serve? If you're not asking those 300 to 400 questions a day about what does it mean to live in the kingdom of God? So that really is what hammered at home for me was the connection between people in my church mm-hmm. and people in my office for direction. And what I saw Jesus doing with this concept of the kingdom yeah. and this new kind of becoming a child again in the yeah. midst of the kingdom of God. Yeah, that's great, uh, Casey. I think one of the implications there too then is that the goal, and obviously you know this as a spiritual director, but I think a lot of times um, that we have a lot of pastors who listen to this podcast, and so a lot of times as pastors, I think we inherit the 
sort of the cultural assumption from our churches, from our training, etc., that our job is to be the answer per people, right? Our job is to be the person who has the answers, to kind of be like a spiritual or religious expert. Um, but I, I think this this demands, if we're going to embrace the practice of asking questions, it demands that we shift our our goal. Like, the goal isn't that this person would believe the right things, this person who's sitting in front of me, you know, for spiritual direction or pastoring. It isn't that they would believe the right things or that they would act in certain ways, but it's that they would they would get more in touch with their desires, with really their, their heart longings, with what's actually going on underneath the surface of their lives, so that they can interact and engage with the kingdom of God. Is that kind of uh, what you're saying as part of absolutely. that? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it gives us the chance to actually spread the ability for everyone to have a piece of the knowledge and of the administration and of the work of the king. Like we talk about delegation when it comes to tasks. Mm. We ever talk about delegation when it comes to understanding what's going on in the kingdom. Because if you yeah. and I, if a pastor serves only as the, he's the only answer person or she's the only answer right. person, um, then no one else gets a chance to be a part of that table. Mm-hmm. And I would much rather have a church of disciples yeah. than a church led by an expert. Yes. And so that's Jesus could have called all sorts of really completely capable, competent, intelligent, got it all from the day one kind of people. Yeah. And instead he called guys who half the time weren't getting it. Mm-hmm. And, but they asked good questions. Yeah. Uh, they asked a lot of them. Yep. Some of them, he said, he was like, are you kidding me? But okay, let's, let's, okay, we'll let's go do with- that, Peter. If you want to do that, yeah. let's do that. Let's go over that again. Uh, yeah. So let's call it, let's call disciples and not experts and yeah. what impact that might have yes. on a community of people, not only for how they participate, but how yes. they interact with each other. There's a humility mm-hmm. that's part of that. Like if you don't know, if you know that you don't know, you're, it's going to be very hard for you to put yourself above somebody else. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. So one of the things that quest, uh, learning to ask questions and learning to not ask leading questions or using questions as a technique uh, to sort of hide what you are doing or what you want, but ask, asking genuine questions in this space of, and I would call it what you're describing as like an appreciative wonder. There's a uh, language used outside of the Christian um, bubble is appreciative inquiry. Where you're you're attempting to value and honor the subject or the object that you're curious about in an open-handed, open-ended way, yeah. right? Not to get something out. It's not a. It's not this utilitarian, pragmatic thing. But it's actually there's a there's space that's opened up in your spirit to connect with and appreciate this thing. One of the things I notice about that is that uh, Jesus was often uh, teaching people in ways that they 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 couldn't they couldn't conceive of what he was saying. So it wasn't that they were stupid, right? They were really smart. It was that they misunderstood what he was saying because they would take his language and put it in old wineskins, the the constructs, the frameworks. Uh, and so Jesus, I noticed he would he would ask questions to blow up their constructs. You know what I mean? To 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 burst their old wineskins in a way, so that they'd have to reconfigure. Well, who is this person that even the winds and the waves obey him? You know mm-hmm. that there would be yeah. this reconstitution of. Uh, are am I am I? Do you see that too? Or am, am, am I tracking on that right? The way you're thinking about that? Yeah, yeah. He, I do. I see. I, I mean, that's. I love that appreciative wonder idea. 
because it was always as if Jesus understood there would be a gap. Mm. There'd be a gap Hmm. between where you can get to with this and where you're going to have to just trust for the next step. And, and he varied that too, based on the person. So the, the teacher of the law that says, you know, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus had an understanding of how far that he could go with that. And even the two different gospel accounts, one is, well, love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself. And the other, he says, what do you think? Mm-hmm. Tell me. Right. There's no and stock there, answer there is for him. That. Yeah. Yeah. There is that, there's that level of appreciative wonder to say, you might already actually know. And some of that's more the rabbinic tradition of of dialogue and back and forth. And we in the, I mean, I think we could, this is a soapbox. I think we could stand to recover some of that. Come in on, the West. Casey. Take all yeah. my money. Take all my money. Come on. I'm going at it. Loves <laughs> yeah. are coming off. Yeah. No, the, no, no, the rabbinic tradition helps. I think you, you mentioned sort of this rationalistic approach where to be a leader is to be an expert and have everything nailed down. And what you're describing is one of the ways into being actually a methetes, to be a disciple, to be a learner is to learn to ask genuine questions, right? Because a disciple, so an expert, the the worst thing that could happen to them in any given day is that they would come to the end of their their knowledge and competency. Hmm. And they would have to say, I don't know, right? But But a disciple, the best thing that happened to them is that they would come to the end of their capacity and say, I don't know. And so when we when we use this expert frame, and we try to be disciples inside of it, repentance becomes this absolutely worst case scenario slash best thing that could happen to me. And we vacillate, you know what I mean? And like, we don't, we'll do anything to not say, I was wrong, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I'm totally with you. I'm totally with you that, that the, the practice of asking questions, even before, quote, we feel like it, or, or even want to, right? Puts mm-hmm. our bodies in a posture and a place to learn to learn this curiosity that you're writing about. It's crucial. I think it it allows our formation to be as complex as it really is too, Mm. because there is the sense of, okay, I'm a curious person. I ask a question, I get an answer. I've checked the box. Like we, we will find, if it's a thing, we will find a way to make a law about it. Um, Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. usually I do this with people when I do, uh, when I do different uh, speaking things, I'll say, tell me what the one most important question is for you right now. And people will write that down and I'll say, now tell me the three things that have to be answered first before you can even touch that one. Mm. And what you can find is that you continue to go down and dig layer by layer by layer by layer. You'll find that it's not as simple as just, what do I need to do to be saved? Right. Uh, Well, okay. Well, did you keep the law? Yeah, I sure did. Uh, Okay. Give everything you own to the poor. Uh, how? And Jesus, a lot of times just lets that how question hang out there. Like love your enemies. How? Well, kind of depends on your enemies. Yeah. Yeah. There is that possibility that this is not the final curiosity keeps us in that space of wonder and openness and possibility. Hmm. And, uh, I feel like that's a place where we need our faith grows because we need it more. We don't have that bedrock stuff to stand on. Yeah. We do have some certainties. There is such a thing as certainty, like stop signs are certainties. Everybody should obey those. Yeah, That's yeah. a law. Keep it. Uh, yeah. But there are far less than we, I think, we think there are. Yes. Mm. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, that is good. And then you take this, you take this practice or this, this call to become curious and you apply it uh, in, in your second book to our memories. 
the things that happen to us. Uh, can you can you give us an uh, idea or just maybe how did? I mean, I'm guessing in your spiritual direction, you run into helping people deal with and reckon with their memories. But how did this crystallize for you? How did this become important enough to write a book about? Yeah, it's it's a conglomeration, kind of a crossroads of a bunch of different things. One is what you just mentioned. A lot of times when I was speaking with people who were in spiritual crisis, the conversation automatically went back to something that happened in the past. And it could be recent. It could be distant. Uh, sometimes it could be, I don't know why this is. And my questions would be, well, tell me, tell me about a, the last time you felt that way. And then we begin to identify different factors that tie into a story where they go, oh my gosh, I had forgotten when I was seven, dot, mm. dot, dot. So there is that. And then there's, uh, for me, uh, some issues, some personal issues that I've had to wrestle with uh, actually really came through after the book was already out. So part of me was like, I wish I'd had my hands around this more while I was writing. I feel like it would have been more helpful. But Hmm. some things that I was processing through with a counselor Hmm. uh, that had to do with past events. And then the third thing is the, the role of memory in the scriptures. Um, yeah. the nation of Israel is a memory built nation. Right. Every time there's a commandment, every time there's a conversation, it's always, now remember, I'm the Lord, your God who brought you out of Egypt. And of course, that's not just like one thing. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a spider web of, and because of that, this, and because of that, this, and the mm-hmm. tabernacles and the festivals and all this. So as I saw all those things come together, along with just looking at neuroscience and what memories do in us in our brains, what our brains do with our memories, and how they continue to interact with them even long after the thing is done. That's what really brought this this book to the front because I saw people who were aching Mm. from things that had happened in the past that cannot be changed. And so if that's part of their humanity, then God has to have a role in dealing with that, whether Mm. it's forgiveness, redemption, renewal, transformation, any any number yeah. of things. So that's really where the genesis of the book came from. That's great, Casey. Um, I have two questions. He I'll mentioned, them he mentioned neuroscience. Yeah, he did. I'm coming back to that. Okay, yeah, yeah, neuroscience. <laughs> uh, we've been interviewing uh, several folks who have been uh, doing that uh, as well, kind of taking the findings of neuroscience uh, and, and learning to kind of integrate them with our spirituality. Um, the question I wanted to ask, though, I um, hope I didn't lose it here. Uh, oh, uh, so, like, can you give us an example of how, like, how does God deal with our memories? You said these are things that have happened to us that we cannot change. Um, what, you know, what possible, <laughs> what could God do with a memory? What could God do with something bad that happened to us that we can't change? Like, what's the use of kind of going back there and thinking about that? Like, what is, can you give me an example of what, how does God work in the, in the midst of remembering yeah. And th- those are the hardest ones is when there's a trauma mm-hmm. or where there's a a trauma on one end of the spectrum. On the other end of the spectrum, maybe just uh, the shattering of trust okay. or the blow up of expectations. Yeah, There are a few things that happen over time. One is we gain a different perspective on events that have happened in the past. Mm. And sometimes that is you know a faith journey where we begin to see that you know, maybe that wasn't what I thought it was or, and it's not to say if you went through a horrible trauma, look back at it. Cause you probably didn't understand it. I, you know, <laughs> I believe your trauma is what you say it is. Right. It's not like every time you go back and go, Oh, it was actually great. 
It was Wait actually awesome. I didn't, I didn't, didn't even realize. No, yeah, sometimes it's, again? yeah, yeah, it's, it really is. So sometimes there's a new perspective. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Keep going. Sometimes it's that. Sometimes it is, it is a way of seeing our present tense self hmm. in light of what happened then. Hmm. So okay. a person, so, so the way it's kind of goes back to the way our memories are made. So it always starts as an experience. So we yeah. have this sensory, physical, you know, eyes, ears, smell, touch, all of that's where it starts. And anything that gets beyond the 30 seconds of our short-term memory gets logged away. And okay. it, for the most part, there yeah. are some exemptions to that. And anything that beca- gets into that deep long-term storage becomes a technically a memory. Okay. But what we don't often talk about is how those memories become stories, Hmm. So they become view, worldview lenses yeah. that we see everything through. Hmm. So a, a person who has the experience of being bit by a dog as a kid, yeah. they have all that visceral memory. Hey, yeah. there you go. Matt, Matt's talked about that on the podcast Me. before. Yep. Yeah. So you, it's tempting to have this story then that dogs are evil. Like all dogs are evil. Even though it was just one terrier, (laughs) all dogs are now evil. And then the story becomes a script. I'm going to avoid all dogs because all dogs are evil. So trauma does that to us. So we're, Mm. we're abused by someone we love or someone who's in authority or someone, especially relevant now is someone who's in a position of religious power. And so we have that experience. And then we have a story that anybody who represents God and maybe even God himself is mm-hmm. unsafe. Yep. And so then we remove ourselves from the situation. Yes. And so what God does in redeeming our memories is, is help us to develop a different story about what has happened mm-hmm. or to say, this is part of what happened to you. It's not your fault, yeah. but now it's your responsibility. Mm-hmm. And so what, what do we do with that now? Yeah. And there are these strengths that are built in us yes. when we allow God to take something that was, horrible and painful and rough yeah. and turn it into something that can be beautiful and helpful. Cause yeah. you look at hopeful people, like if you find somebody who's really hopeful and faithful, chances are they've learned how to die. Mm. They figured out how to suffer well and come out the other side and say, you know, I would never do that again, but I wouldn't change it because yeah. it's, it's made me who I am today. Yeah. I, I'm, re- I'm remembering some research. I think Brene Brown did on like, I think it was compassionate people, people that, were truly compassionate. And um, they had sort of assumed that the research would show that compassionate people are people who haven't had a really hard life. <laughs> but they said just the opposite was true, that they, they uh, compassionate people endured just as much trauma and hard stuff as non-compassionate people. But they were people who had the kind of ability that you talk about there that sometimes we need help with, which is they, they had the ability to separate their experience from the story they were telling themselves about the experience and learn that the story is malleable. The story mm-hmm. can be changed. The story might not be true, That the thing that I told myself about this experience. Yeah. And compassionate people were the people who had learned to tell a new story about the thing that had happened to them. Yeah. And for me, my experience of that was there was a trauma that happened when I was very young. And for years, I had assumed uh, that it was my fault. I wasn't abused or anything, but it was something that uh, I had assumed was my fault hmm. and had not really thought that until a good counselor said, you realize that wasn't your fault. <laughs> and it was amazing how freeing that was because I had some behaviors that weren't destructive. They were just weird that I'm like, where did that even come from? Yeah. And once we unlocked that idea of this isn't your fault. And so that's that graceful move of God to say, 
Yeah. I was actually, I'm with you in this. Yeah. And this isn't what you thought it was. Yeah. Yeah. Like Moses, for example, when you have the story of Moses and uh, killing the Egyptian soldier. Yeah. And then he's outcast by both his people and his adopted people. Mm-hmm. And so he has this story now of, well, what was going on there? Like, I, I just, I thought I was doing the right thing. Right. And so the calling then becomes, you're, you're neither Hebrew nor Egyptian right now. They've both kicked you out, but I'm going to make you a liberator. Yeah. And you need that distance is what's going to help you to do this. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important too to mention like you're, you didn't know that you were telling yourself a story about that. You didn't know that it wasn't a cognitive process where you were like, yep, that was my fault. But you yeah. learned that your, your body, that sto- the stories are embedded in our bodies, right? Yeah. So I think that's an important yeah. thing like to realize is like most of the stories that run our lives are not. We're not conscious of right. They're they're embedded in our bodies, and and the kind of work that you talk about in your book and spiritual direction and counseling and therapy and all that kind of stuff. um, What that can do for us is to uncover those unconscious stories, so that they can be redeemed or rewritten. And I'm glad you said that because early on in the book, and I want to reiterate this for people who are listening: this is not a solo enterprise. Yes. Find it. Don't, this isn't going to happen. Don't take this book and go away for a weekend and expect all your stuff to get fixed. Um, yeah. This is something that you, a wise guide is very helpful in, uh, in taking us through and being able to see things objectively. And uh, especially because some of them are, we just need someone else standing outside of it going, actually, this is what this is. Yeah. Right. right. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and you're, you're kind of talking around this, but I, I think the dominant so we almost ignore memories in the Christian life. We outsource memory work to therapists, you know? And it's interesting that, um, like you said, the Old Testament definitely does not outsource memories somewhere else. And even in the New Testament, um, you know, I'm, I'm reading, uh, rereading the book of Romans, and I'm noticing how often Paul references things. He's, he's, he's trading on his, the assumed memories of his audience as he's writing. So he's constantly riffing, mm. referring, uh, uh, innovating off of a shared common memory of who we are, where we've been, where we're going, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. But the, the dominant narrative I grew up with, Casey, in like, like the Christian, sort of the Christian axiom about memories, especially bad memories, is forgive and forget. And mm. you, t- you touch on this in your book. Could you say why that is inadequate? and maybe not as helpful as what you're describing? Yeah. Yeah, I, the, the reason, I mean, the big picture reason is these memories are as key to our formation as scripture and prayer and fasting and community. Dude, that's huge. Part, that's huge right there. Yeah, right? The, they're, they're part of who we are. Yes, and, and we, we've bought maybe um, every fighter verse I've memorized, every sermon I ascent to, every uh, Kathy Tricoli song I've, I can sing by heart. Like, we've, mem- <laughs> we, like we, we, we've told ourselves that those things are where our Christian identity lies. Uh, what you're naming is this... I mean, uh, I didn't know you were such poor, a big fan of Kathy. Uh, the, Christian radio, the Christian radio host in me just like... Uh, <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. You, you auto, Your body automatically began humming some, you know, Tricoli uh, top 10 hit. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but, Clay Cross and Ray Bolt. Yeah, all over it. There you go. There you go. Right. Yeah. But uh, what you're saying is, is that our theological and spir- spiritual architecture actually lie in what's happen to us. <laughs> they lie in our relationships and our emotional engagement and our, our cognitive or discursive 
processing of that, like that's the soil in which everything else takes root. This is, and that's crucial because I think, I think oftentimes that gets seen as not spiritual or worldly or human stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's important. Go to a therapist if you're getting a divorce or if you're uh, an addict. But if you're just like a regular Christian, then you can use these other things that are important. But what you're saying is actually where our life lives is in these, these memories. Yeah. yeah. So if you come into the forgive and forget thing doesn't, doesn't necessarily work, mainly because forgiveness is not a one and done kind of thing. Mm. Forgiveness is less about paperwork. It's more about an address. It's a place where we actually have to live. Dang. And oh, so dude. Dude, we'll get up in the morning some days and be like, yeah, really today, good. today I'm good. I've let, I've, I'm dealing with that really well. And then the next day we're like, nope, I kind of want him to die. Uh, <laughs> that's yeah. where I'm at with this. Yeah. So you bring that's so that. Important. That's so important. Uh, sorry to interrupt again, but no, like, that's, that's so important, I think, because so many people have this sense of guilt that they haven't done a good job. They have, maybe, maybe my forgiveness yesterday was illegitimate because today I want to kill him. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. and this is so freeing to realize, no, that's part of the process. Or It's an address you live at. Yeah. It's not a, what did you call it? It's no. not a one and done. It's not a... It's not paperwork. It's yeah, not paperwork. It's not, paperwork it's, not a, it's not a form I fill out. It's a home I need to learn to live in, and it takes a while. Yeah. yeah. They, they, either, they either vacillate between, I forgive them yesterday, I don't today, or they figure out a way to dissociate themselves from the memory, right? right? So they find a way to right. fragment and segment themselves off from what happened, yeah. which then just kind of locks this, this you know, uh, evidence of death and destruction away in their soul somewhere. Yeah. And it doesn't behave there. Yeah. It, it creates havoc. Yeah. And this, like the story you tell is like it wasn't that bad, yeah. Or it, or I don't really care, yeah. Or and yeah. then and then you try to live a, a life that's a Christian life that's um, intrinsically about holiness and being whole and integrity in a, in a uh, fragmented, unholistic, yeah. disintegrated way. Because you're not telling the truth about how bad that was, <laughs> how much it hurt, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. And you talk about reincorporating even bad things into our story, which I think mm. is is mind-blowing for many people because the only way they've learned how to deal with bad things is eliminate them and and like quarantine them somewhere. Mm. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. We, the we, distance Go ahead. The distance is of between us and the thing in the past is what gives it power. The further yeah. away that it is, the stronger it becomes Come because on, yeah. We <laughs> we haven't decided we haven't decided to do anything with it. That's mm. why I look at the story of Peter and Jesus on the beach. Oh. And people point to that story and talk about just the the tension. But what I think Jesus was modeling was I'm I'm going to walk up to you mm. and I'm going to bring this back to mind. This thing yes. that you did that you know. You're so ashamed but of. I, yeah. What I'm not going to do is shame you. Yeah. Like Jesus never asked him to repent. Uh-huh. He never asks him to forget to like ask forgiveness yeah. or grovel. Yeah. He just says, "Listen, where are we at?" Yeah. You love me? Yeah. Okay, do you? Okay, do you? And Peter's like, "Oh, this is exhausting." And he says, "Okay, now that we've now that we've dealt with that." Yeah. We've still got we've got things to do. Yeah. So, I think there's that model of Beautiful. you've got you've got to bring that back and take mm-hmm. hold of it. And here's where I'd love to address something that probably your listeners are dealing with, which is we talk a lot about individuals. So we bring these things into our spiritual practices. So when a woman who's been abused by her father reads the Lord's prayer and hears our father who art in heaven, 
her story has changed. That passage sounds different. Mm -hmm. The same is true of churches. Churches have an organizational set of memories that they bring into every mission, every sermon, every interaction. Uh, I can go to, I feel like, and this sounds boastful, but I feel pretty confident that I could go to a church and read their bylaws and tell you their story. Wow. Our because bylaws suck, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> ours, ours do not reflect the life of our church at this point at all. So, <laughs> But keep going. But okay. once, once we write so, the new ones, we'll have you read more them. More so in the sense if you if a church has gone through significant trauma, <laughs> yes. if you read the bylaws, you can, you can read the trauma between the lines yes. because we've now legislated so this never happens again. Yes. Rather right. than saying, I think we all need to sit down and have a have have it come to Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> so funny. It's have a ironic, talk with Jesus on the beach. You know, yes. we need to hear we need to hear what Jesus wants to tell us on the beach. We need some reconciliation that goes oh, on. Dude. And so that yes. forgive and forget thing is true enough for individuals, but also for churches. You know, we've had this major conflict. We just need to move on. No. Mm. No, you probably need to spend some time with it and let it just rot in front of you. And so you can figure out exactly what was really going on. Oh. Did, yeah. So say, Casey. Say more about, go ahead. Yeah. You say more, say more about what? I was just going to say that word rot was interesting to me. Let it rot in front of you. What do you mean by that? Well, there's a, it feels like, I mean, it's a very visceral metaphor, yeah, but it, it comes from a conversation I had with a friend who was, uh, who was dealing with something really significant. And we talked a little bit about those things in our house that we've had hanging on the wall for years and so much so that we just forget they're there. Yeah. And they just become part of it. Mm. And I think what happens with our memories, especially the painful ones is we keep them locked away so that they remain abnormal and unusual. And so our conversation with my conversation with her was, what if you just hung it on the wall? And it's, it's this festering thing, Mm. but over time it will dry out it will become common. Hmm. It will lose the stink and it will just be part and you can then learn from it. Once it loses its power, then you can embrace it and release it and you can mm. begin to learn from it. Yes. So Peter doesn't have to hold on to the guilt of rejecting Jesus, but he can learn. I, I was really quick to walk away from this. Yeah. And, and, and so I, thought, they, I thought I'd never do it. I think that yeah. was a big part of the shock for Peter was like, I think he was all in, you know, he's like, I'm going, I'm going, we're going to die with him, you know, and then the soldiers show up and it's like, you know, I'm out of here. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. I'm not going to die with yeah, him. Yeah, 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 I'm not going to do it. <laughs> so taking, taking that little picture then of, you know, Peter being on the boat and uh, Jesus reckoning with, beach. Uh, me. Peter's on the, Peter's in the boat, Jesus is on the beach, Fisher, oh, okay. Fisher yeah. in the sea, yeah. sand is on the shore. This is the before pic- Peter gets to the beach. Do you have the picture? I'm, just, I'm trying to figure out where you're at in the story. Well, like Jesus comes and like, you know, you mentioned the do you love me interaction, but first he gives him advice about fishing and then he cooks him breakfast. So like there's a restoration happening even before that. Mm-hmm. But secondly, what you just said about how churches write their bylaws to protect themselves from the hurt they've already experienced, mm-hmm. it'd be like Jesus never showing up and Peter on the boat with James and John saying, here's how we don't ever let this Jesus thing happen to us again. Yes. Right? And and we make rules, laws, and this will keep us from this disappointment, sadness, hurt, betrayal. Mm -hmm. But they stay on the boat and they don't get. And and so, so what I heard you say, Casey, that's so powerful to me is imagine Peter's life if he had rewritten his bylaws in the boat rather than gone (laughs) out and and met with Jesus. Just just imagine. Because in some of the gospel stories, right, that's when Peter 
begins to follow Jesus is after a large catch of fish. So can you imagine that? Like it's almost like a trigger, trigger a triggering memory for him. Yeah. Like, hey, throw your boat, throw your nets on the other side. Yeah. He's like, no, 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 no. Yeah. We have bylaws about this. We I see. never. If a potential Messiah tells us to throw our, bo- tell our nets on the other side, do not do it. Yeah. You might get a good catch of fish, but you will be disappointed. Yeah. 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 And so one of the things I've, I've, I mean, so tell me if, tell me if I'm hearing you right. You're saying like the way we respond to our hurt, if we don't reckon with it, face it, hanging on the wall, like we try to, we try to prevent ourselves from hurting again, but that actually locks in the hurt and gives it more power than, than it than it has right now, is that what you're saying? Yeah, we we ignore that. That's part of our story. We it's not it's outside of us. It's it becomes almost like an out of body out of body experience. Now the caveat to that is there our brain actually does deal with trauma that way sometimes, as that sometimes our brain goes into a shock mode right. and it will either drop the memory. Yep. And so that's where you know people find things resurfacing after decades. That's right. But then also, sometimes our brain just shuts down, yep. and so that's how we deal with trauma. But ultimately, if we for, if we push it aside and just don't pay attention to it, it does stay. It stays fresh. It stays alive, mm-hmm. and it continues to exert authority on us. And it's funny when you said that about Peter and rewriting his bylaws. What occurred to me was that's exactly what happened with the Jewish leaders in the law after the exile. Hmm. Yeah, same more, said, same more, same We will that. never disobey Sabbath again. Oh. So what we're going to do is create boundaries to what is work. That's right. We don't want to go back to Babylon. This law yes. again. I don't want to go back to Babylon. I'm not going back to Babylon. Yeah, that was all awful. Nebuchadnezzar, all that stuff. No, yep. we're not doing that again. And we know the reason. We're going to yeah. layer in some laws Dude. so that we never have to relive the story rather than saying, uh, we did this. Yeah, that's profound. That might be that might be a way of just naming what's like what's wrong with American spirituality is we have traded a life of love in the kingdom for a life trying to stay out of Babylon. Hmm. Like corporately and personally. Yeah. You know yeah. what's, what's the kingdom's complicated. Yeah. And love is, you know, I mean, one of the things I can control my life in such a way, six hundred and some odd rules, to stay away from Babylon, but I can't control love. I can't control my hurt. I don't. I don't get a. Ch- I don't. I don't get to manage those outcomes. I have no idea how long I'll cry if mm. I face this memory. You know what I mean? I have no. I do not have the uh, self willful autonomous control over all the things that Jesus invites yeah, me into. Yeah. It's a letting go of control, and that scares me to death. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Casey, um, these books are a gift, man, and the work you're doing, the work you're doing for us and for the church is just crucial and vital. Mm. Uh, so thank you. Thanks for uh, stirring our hearts. Yeah. I mean, I, this is what we do in our process. In our process, we have people bring memories that they perceive, and then we are curious with them about them. Yeah. Um, because we trust that God's present at work in that event, and we want them to meet with God there mm-hmm. and receive God there and then live out yeah. the gold, that God, dig up the gold there, and then spend yeah. it in their life in the coming week. Yeah. And that's one way to describe what we do. Mm. And your books are uh, incredible helpful tools and resources to um, equip people in our process. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, thank you guys. That's lovely. I'm, yeah. I'm glad you do the work that you do. Yeah, and those memories aren't just... Uh, they're not just like when I was seven, but like this is memories of like this morning. Or two and a half weeks ago, I bought this dog. Yeah, yeah, 
and and I and I regret my life. And I hear Casey tell me I need to nail it to the wall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let it rot and let let it dry out. That podcast took a dark turn. <laughs> I think there's some hermeneutical license being taken. Yeah, yeah, I, don't, yeah right. I don't think that's Casey what I disavows. Said at all. all right, I'll, you this know, is, you if said something, something happens to the dog, Casey disavows. You all said something about or, yeah. discerning things in community. So maybe I'll test this before. <laughs> yeah, we do. you yeah, need maybe, to find some wise guys. Yeah, maybe, maybe ask about that. Hey, can I ask one more question before we go? Yeah. We're, we're about at time, but um, I've been wanting to ask this. Um, Casey, do you, like, we're talking about memory, and I'm just aware, you know, we're, we're Anglicans, and so every Sunday uh, we take the Eucharist, and we say that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, do you connect in your book or just in your thought process, how do you connect the Eucharist with some of what you talk about in terms of, in terms of memory? Yeah. I do. I, it is, it's the center point, obviously, as we've been talking, I can hear it in you too. And from your tradition, this Mm -hmm. is the center. The sermon is in evangelical traditions. The sermon is the pinnacle Yeah. Uh, in other traditions that I, I tend to lean, even though I'm a part of an evangelical tradition, I lean a little bit more towards let's make the meal the center Yes. because I I love in the book, I talk about the, the table and Mm -hmm what happens when we are all uh, given a chance to remember that we're invited there. Hmm. And the elements, um, Henry Nowen has a great analogy about it in the book, Life of the Beloved, oh, yeah. where he talks about being taken, blessed, broken, and given. Wow. And how that meal reminds us every time we take it that before we did a thing, we were chosen. Hmm. And not only were we chosen, because that would just be tolerance, yeah. we were also spoken well of. Oh, that's nice. And even though the fact that we are broken, he knows what that feels like. And we are, mm-hmm. we are co-mingling with Jesus in our brokenness, yes. but that we're also then given yes. without the pieces, there wouldn't be enough to go around. And yes. so that brokenness is what makes us valuable and strong and beautiful within the context. So that meal is incredibly powerful for the idea of, you know, when Jesus says, every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. The question then becomes, okay, but what are we remembering? Yes. What do you want us to remember? Uh, We'll remember you, but specifically. Yeah. And I think it is that taken, blessed, broken, and given. This is where you are. This is what you're about. This is who you are. I love. I love what you've done there too, because that's some very deep. uh, We don't. We can't get into it, but there's some very deep Eucharistic theology there, where the the body of Christ that we remember on the cross uh, becomes the body of Christ in the bread that we partake of, which then becomes the body of Christ, the church, which is sent out, right? Like like those broken pieces uh, to be given to the world. And so there's this identification that we that we have with Jesus through his body uh, in, in the Eucharist meal that actually empowers and fuels kind of the, the, the rest of our life. Um, and I love how you've rooted that in memory, in remember. It's beautiful. Yeah. Thank all, you. All my best ideas come from Henry now on. <laughs> well, it's not a bad source. To yeah, get ideas from yeah, uh, and Eugene Peterson picks up on this he, take plus break and give in one of his uh, spiritual theology books he wrote. Can't remember which one it is either, but just yes. read them all. We just yep. recommend all of them. Yep. Um, Casey, if people want to connect with you and uh, interface with you uh, online, how would they do that? Where are you hanging out these days? 
Yeah. So I have a website. It's just my name, Casey Tigret, T-Y-G-R-E-T-T.com. I took a marketing team six months to come up with that. So it was good. Mm-hmm. Yep. What should uh, we call my website? Mm, mm. I also, uh, I blog on the Patheos platform. So okay. the blog's called Everything Becoming. And then I'm on nice. the Twitters and Instagram and Facebook. and Just uh, look up your name. At, yeah. yeah. At yeah. CK Tigret is my, is my handle Great. on both of those. And I try to be as as helpful on there as I possibly can. Fancy. Awesome. Brilliant. We'll put links to those things in the show notes uh, and also to your uh, books, um, Becoming Curious and As I Recall. Thanks so much. Yeah. God bless you, Casey. My pleasure. Thank you, guys. All right. Peace. See you next time. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you enjoy learning from this podcast, please be sure to show your support by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on iTunes. Be sure to share with your friends on social media too. And we would love to hear from you. So please email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. You can join our online community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.